Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Hello, welcome back. I hope you're managing to have some sort of a season in what has been a horrendous winter so far. It's Christmas, so we've got a number of episodes in the back catalogue that I'm going to be putting out. In this episode, we welcome Keith and David Mayer. Keith is an FA Advanced Youth Award and A licence holder. He is also an FA affiliate tutor and has delivered on everything from the Level 1 up to the UEFA Pro licence. His son David is a global head coach at Seven Elite, which is a club from Salt Lake City in the US. And Keith and David have recently written a book on coaching called Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly. We did have a couple of audio issues during the recording, unfortunately, so please bear with us. And the background noise that you can hear all the way through is my electric heater as it was absolutely freezing when we recorded this. But other than that, please enjoy this one with Keith and David Mayer. Keith, David Mayer, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks for coming down on uh, this freezing, literally freezing December day. Is well, officially one degrees Celsius. Um, Keith, you are, as you, well, I'm not sure if you know, but you're one of the reasons or the catalysts for this podcast even getting off the ground. So in our, what would they be, biannual coffee mornings up at Starbucks on the East Langs Road where we, uh, we, we talk about football life and everything else. Um, I don't know if you remember, it would have been about two, two and a bit years ago now. You gave me quite a stern pep talk and basically just told me to get my arse into gear and get this thing off the ground. So I don't know if you remember that one, do you? I do remember it, yes, I do. Yeah, so so thank you for the uh, the kick up the backside at the right time. And uh, David, this is actually the first time that we've met. I actually feel like I've known you for about 15 (laughs) years because I think, Keith, we met uh, probably about 15 years ago now, didn't we? We will be, yes. Yeah, Yeah. Um, and I've kind of intertwined through through our football journeys since but David I've probably had regular updates on your progress but never actually met you so yeah, uh, good, good to finally meet you um, if we start with you and uh, what you're up to at the moment um, what you're doing and how, how you've ended up in my garage probably a good start <laughs> uh, yeah so I I'm currently based in in America I recently got a, a visa approved for a for a club over in Utah, uh, so I my role's global, the global head of foundation phase. So even though I'm based in Utah, the club's based in in Liverpool and in Tanzania as well. So it's been quite a, an interesting. I've been there for about sixteen months. It's been quite interesting, been enjoyable. Uh, there's been quite a lot of travel, met some really good people. So that's what I'm up to currently. Yeah. Um, I've just got back from Salt Lake City two days ago, so right. back over in... Uh, That's the jet lag. It's, it's been up since, well, I was up at 3am and I up till 3am and then uh, woke up at 6 this morning, so... 
So is that the club that you're at? So it's a, it's called Elite Academy. Seven Elite Academy. Seven Elite Academy. Yeah. Um, what's the seven for? Do you know? Yeah, so it's just a rep- representation of great number sevens okay. in the past. So the owner's a he's a big Liverpool fan, but he was a big fan of the number seven. Right. So taken from great number sevens that, yeah. have, that have played and that are still playing I think it's quite an iconic number yeah. uh, especially in England when you look at the likes of David Beckham so that's where that came from and Rob Lee and Rob Lee for Newcastle <laughs> yeah. fans out there that's it um, so when you say foundation phase is that would, would, do, your, do your club define that the same way as it's defined over here in the UK in terms of so basically primary school age yeah so the club in the states it's normally just run as um, they have director of coaching which oversees boys they'll have a director of coaching and overseas oversee girls but uh, the club doing it a little bit different so they're actually modeling it off what is done in england so my role overseas pre-academy from four years four years of age until 11. yeah so i go from four to 11 i oversee the curriculum and play development, coach mentoring, and then obviously coach recruitment as well throughout the throughout the club. Yeah. So that as well as a couple of other roles. Do you still get time on the grass? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And and the nice the nice thing about it, so I've just got over there, I don't I won't be taking a group for the rest of this season, but from next year I'll have a team to work with which will be good so I'll be able to coach and and work full time with a with a team, but right now, even though I'm not taking a team, I will be going in. I'll be delivering sessions, yeah. and I'll be I'll be working alongside coaches, but I'll be spending a lot of time with with kids, with okay. players from from four to eleven. So I still have a lot of interaction with them. Good stuff. Good. And talking about on the grass, you're you're still getting out, aren't you, Keith? Actively, yes, I am. That's it sort of keeps you keeps the uh, keeps the knife sharp you know you got to keep keep that going so yes I currently coaching doing the coach affiliate affiliate tutor for the FA but equally I'm, uh, I'm coaching at a uh, at a club which which allows me the opportunity to to experiment and equally work with with kids that you know I thoroughly enjoy spending time with so uh, it's like anything you, you just got to keep moving along and Times change, but it's it's extremely fulfilling to be to be able to go out and and work with players still, having spent such a long period of time in the in the game of football. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting withdrawal symptoms at the moment because uh, the lads that I coach, we well, the weather. I can't remember a winter as bad as this one. Yeah, Maybe two years ago was bad, but this one seems to have topped it, and we've. Um, yeah, we've just been cancellation after cancellation. So we just, I'm, we're just training literally at the moment. So we've had no fixture for about a month, and yeah, I miss it. I, yeah, no, even though I'm not not playing it anymore, I just, you know, miss miss seeing the boys out there, you know, competing, and it's you kind of like the fruits of your labour, isn't it? In Absolutely. some some respects. So um, yeah, the reason why that we're here is you know we had our biannual catch up last right. week we in Starbucks, and um, I I felt ashamed to say that I hadn't bought or read your book that you've been working on for some months uh, and you kind of gave me a copy but I bought one as well so I've got two now nice. one signed 
one to be signed. Um, and uh, I have, I've got to say thank you first because I am, I don't know a slower reader than me. I'm, I must have the reading age of an, of an infant. I'm so slow. Uh, but I've managed to get through half of it, so it's about, what's that, six chapters in a week, mm. which is pretty good going for me, good. so that, that's probably testament to your, your, you guys' writing skills, and um, it's been, it, I've really enjoyed it, I, I thought, um, I, I tell you, the biggest praise that I can give for it is it's made me stop, think, and action a few things, so uh, um, question what I've been doing uh, and how I've been interacting with some of the, the players that I coach and just put the book down for a moment and, and think twice about what, you know, what I've been doing. Um, so that's probably the biggest compliment I can get, I can give from the first chap- six chapters that I've read so far. Um, I don't know if you want to let us know how, you know, how did you, how did this end up being in front of us? What was, what was the journey to get there? Well, uh, it's... <laughs> started 15 years ago actually I started to write a book and I never got past the first chapter you know, it was one of those where I would constantly I couldn't break through anything other than why I was doing why, why I was trying to write the book and then I parked it so 15 years we go down a timeline 15 years further down the line I was down in London for a week and I'm travelling back by a train. David was heading to Salt Lake. Salt Lake, yeah. So we've been together down in London and had a good time down there. And then I had a, had a real, I don't, we shouldn't, you don't want to be dying with a, with a book still in your head. So, and I had that urge to want to get it out, but it's just a matter of how and when. So we're travelling back and I, I rang David up, I said, I'm, I'm writing a book. Uh, and he said, right, okay, uh, interesting, on what? So at that point, really didn't know, other than it was going to be a sports-specific, was it going to be football? And uh, and so he said, well, I, I'll give you a hand. Uh, and then that was it. So the rest is history. And then we started to format get some detail more detail around not 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 how it was going to look but how is it going to get shaped up we were going to get involved in this and we're very fortunate we have like everybody we have some good people around us and we tapped into their into their expertise in their into their expertise but we only actively started the first interview was the was it the 4th of july 4th of july so may you know, we're sort of still building, but taking notes. Yeah. What was the process that you go through? Then, obviously, I've just finished a, an assignment for a university degree, and like you have an idea of the end in mind. Mm-hmm. You go out and research, and then you write. But academic writing, I imagine, is is quite different. How, yeah. Do you do you start off with you know what the structure is and what the chapters are and what the outcome is already, or do you? How does it work? Uh, I think it changed. <laughs> throughout, throughout the process it changed but it was quite interesting so on the course itself the, the guy that delivered the course somebody asked him a question around writing a book and real simple how, how do I write a book and he said it's really easy you just get your pen and start writing I thought 
quite an interesting way to look at it really because I always thought that it was a process of you have to go from the start and write your introduction and then go through it and um, really so even though we decided in May we didn't I didn't start writing until the actual writing started at the end of July but between May and July there was a lot of things going on we were we were both very busy with other things but it was a case of doing research so to so to speak getting ideas of chapter names, getting ideas of what it would contain. And then kind of as it went along, we started getting people within sports. It wasn't just football. We got people from different sports that we thought we would we would involve in the book because even though there are a lot of football people in it, I think what the book relates to is synonymous across every sport and I mm. think it's it's the same whether it, you're also in business or whether you're working as a cashier so we thought that we'd do it across different sports and then as I started writing in July at the end of July we still had an idea we knew where we wanted it to go but it changed a lot between then up until probably two weeks before it actually got published so what happened there? We just so we we the book was written. We'd sent it out to three people to proofread, um, and we'd spent that many hours writing it, revising it, reading it. I've I've probably read the book fifty times, <laughs> if not more, and certain chapters more than that. Um, but when we sent it out to people, to these three people to proofread they came back with suggestions and I think that really added the icing on the cake where they would they it was just a little suggestion and then all of a sudden things would change mm. and I moved chap, chapter would change or something would move and yeah I think right up to right up to the last minute it changed and I think the when Debbie refers to a course we're at we're, someone on the course it's a, we were down in London on a course but not a writing course no. it was a business course but uh, I think in life when we when you actually have, you're living in your own little world it, it's nice to have and as David alluded to we've got these three proofreaders which are all specialists in their own arena aren't they uh, one of them are on linguistics another extremely highly successful businessman and uh, one of them, incidentally, was a proofreader for the BBC for 12 years. We didn't know that until afterwards. Though. And didn't know. Struck a lot. He yeah. was perfect. Yeah. Uh, and, and Andy, who's actually got a mention in the book, attended a course I delivered some years ago. and he. So I, I think it, it's nice for those that are actually listening, having been around the game of football, coaching actively for 37 years, you... You're not your own man. You're not your own. You're not your own island. You need to consider things and look elsewhere to actually give an alternative view uh, to what you actually want to get in, yourself involved in. And this is quite a significant <coughs> part of our lives. And you know, sat here at the side of me now, and you, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you, you know, probably more about David than he than he knows. It's the reason why he sat here, and I'm. I'm not. I'm real proud to say he's my son, 
but I'm blessed to have him in my life and I couldn't have a better partner in writing mm. and going into a, a business venture. So the the compilation of all of this has been a, an accumulation of sit down, David really, we put it into a footballing experiences. You know, I, I played a number six role, really, that's all I've done. I've got, served, received the ball and then distributed it and I've just dis distributed lots of information to him and he's, he's he's diluted a lot he's he's put it into language which has been very readable and equally exciting for me to watch watch him delve and go into Starbucks and yeah same Starbucks same know, Starbucks know, yeah <laughs> we sat in the same place so. you you we did yeah I think I would agree on the readable side I think that um you know, having read some quite heavy stuff recently, it's been, and this isn't, don't take this the wrong way, it's been nice to read something that is, it, it, it's, it feels like I'm having a conversation with somebody. But what, when, you, when you started out, what, what did you want people to, how did you want people to respond or react to the end, the mm. end product? Did you have an end in mind with that? I think, Jack, when you start to read a book, you're either reading somebody's lies or truths. And I think if people have, have got a common interest, is what you can get, you can buy X's and O's books. They're, they're out there. And this book, uh, it is different. It's only different because it's been, it, it's, you know, the authors are sat in front, but we're, we're different to everybody else. I think it's the method that, oh, it's been projected out, perceived. And so it's more of a psychosocial book on the elements of around sports of which, you know, how do we connect? How do, you, how do we build a relationship with players or athletes <clears throat> to get them so they feel more at ease, so that they free up a little bit more? And really, uh, that's, where we, that's, where it, that's where I felt there was a niche. We didn't do much research in that department other than it was a matter of dumping out information and a collection of experiences, uh, my, my personal experiences and David's, but then coming up with some questions of which we can then ask the other exemplars and who were actually in the book. So the likes of Darren Moore, who's an absolute tremendous man, uh, West Brom, Premier League manager and then currently over at, at Doncaster Rovers <clears throat> and then we've got the likes of Justin Albrook who's a, a legend at the St. Thomas Rugby Club both different sports but there's got to be a commonality of how they do what they do and what's the first thing that they do when they meet an athlete so it was a matter of a series of questions that we asked <clears throat> standardised questions that we asked everybody that has contributed and then it was recorded and then transcribed. Can you share any of those questions or is it is that secret sauce? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, what's the, I mean, the simplest? The simple things are the genius, I think. Equally, it can also be the greatest sophistication. We tend to stay away from simple things and we ought to look for the most intricate, well, actual facts. It, it was as simple as... <clears throat> What's the first thing you do when you when you meet your athlete? 
and that was it. And then based off that, because the magic doesn't lie in the question. The question actually tee things up, don't they? But the magic lies in actually listening to the responses and then responding accordingly to their to their answer. Mm. And and that it was organic in nature. We did have what was very important was and again it, this was David's idea was we need to have let's put the chapters in there we, we've got a title of a chapter it then makes it a little bit cleaner a bit easier then for for us to dissect what's actually been said and then put it into a specific area of the book yeah and so they changed though as well the chapters even though we had an idea so the questions <coughs> were teed up around chapters. The chapters changed over. Some of them changed over time. Some yeah. of them stayed the same. But the answers that we got were still relative because we were just looking for commonality between yeah. how people build relationships. Yeah, I, that was um, that struck me quite a lot when I was reading through it. Yeah, like you say, Keith, if it, if you were mapping this book across the four corners. It would probably sit across the right-hand side, wouldn't it? Sure. And um, that's not to say there's anything necessarily wrong with X's and O's books. I'm, I'm actually rereading Charles Hughes's book at the moment, and some yeah. brilliant yeah. detail in there. Absolutely. But this has been a, a nice compliment, a really, really useful compliment, and timely. Um, and it, it got me thinking. Well, chain of thought there. So, definition of a coach was one of the things that you. Or the origin of the word coach was something that got me thinking, and we'll explore that in a second. But one one thing that I've been thinking of a lot is what what is a coach? What is the definition of a of a sports coach? So I'm probably in the camp of uh, a guy called John Cote. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a, probably one of the most published researchers out of Queen's University in Canada. I won't go through the wordy his word for word, but the way I interpret it is that a coach is somebody who uses professional knowledge or knowledge of the game, knowledge of um, themselves and knowledge of other people. So use, uses these knowledge bases to, um, to improve a, an athlete or a player's, uh, in, the, in what he calls the four C's, which is confidence, competence, connection and character. And I, and I can really see where you've gone with this in terms of connection and, and, and character and confidence. Um, because if you get those those three in a good place, then you've got a good chance of helping that athlete or player become more competent at the sport. Um, so that, that that's kind of where my thinking has, has been as I've been reading through it. The the origin of of the term coach, though, mm. where, how did you yeah share that with us if you don't mind? I think it. I think it sort of it came from. <clears throat> I'm going to say about 15 years ago, I actually looked up the word coach, which, I mean, you can find anything on the internet nowadays, can't you? But again, it was an understanding. Uh, but but the, the word coach derived from the word coach, K-O-C-H. And, uh, you know, just off the River Danube in Hungary, there's a... Uh, this little village called Koch, where they, where what they do is they, they build, they build carriages. And as a consequence of the carriage, 
and of course carriages, vehicles have been, they've been built many, 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 many years, but it was a matter of coach. Where does that link then to the word coach? And it's a matter of transporting things and transporting things of, uh, of value. And so the uh, the wheelsmiths, you know, what they did is to, when they were travelling around with dignitary, they they built springs on the actual coach, which then made it more comfortable. So it just sit comfort, it just sit right. Where coach, where does it, where does it actually, where does it come from? And uh, it just adds a little bit more spice because it, it it does it is it is right when we're transporting players and you're taking them from one place to another. How do we want to do that as a coach? You know, do do we want them to have a rough ride, or do we want them to feel comfortable? Yeah. And the game's a feeling game, and sports are feelings. And the the deeper we can get, or we can help players or athletes become comfortable in what they do, they they generate they'll generate greater feelings to want to then come back. Yeah. And and hopefully, you know, they're going to learn on 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 their journey. Yeah. And we don't know where that's going to take them, but at least they can remember you. Uh, not that I don't specifically, and I'm sure David doesn't set out. We want players to remember you, but I just think because it's it's the place to start. Mm. So that's where it came from. It was 15 years ago when we were on a course together. In fact, I think I delivered a course that improving the art of communication. Yeah. Yep. And uh, in in football back then at Keele University, where my very near and dear friend uh, Dick Bert worked alongside me so that's where that's where it came from yeah yeah just just reminding back so you said about the how, how what's the first thing that you do or how do you meet how do you greet your athletes or players hmm. so when you're working with players now David what, what what are some of the things that you do to build that connection um, there's a one of the, the things that I wrote in the book is like you did when when we met this morning so I'm coming into your environment coming into your home and just how you made me feel comfortable this morning coming into your home when a player's coming into my environment <coughs> so if I'm coaching they're coming into my environment I have to treat them similar to as if they're coming into my house and I have to welcome them and, and I think the and it's the second chapter of the book where it goes through just possessing warmth showing an interest in them, asking questions, not just questions about the sport, but questions about the life, finding out about things other than what they're here to do, um, but at the same time also using language that can can enable them and, and help them when they do start playing. So, and the book also does talk about how you can use language to to enhance and help athletes more but yeah I think the, the big thing is just possessing a warmth making them feel welcome asking questions because they're coming to you yeah. they're coming into your home and it, this is what I've found a, a challenge sometimes is that you've got this, this trade off and this balance I'm quite envious of coaches who work on individual sports or much smaller numbers so on a Wednesday night, I've got 18 lads that come in to train. 
and I've got an hour and a half, which is more, more than most coaches out there have. Um, so, but we, it's still that's the hour and a half of training a week, and I'm trying to make sure that we've got something set up so that we're not waiting for the last person to arrive before we start. We get started as soon as the first one does, and it's this kind of balancing act between the first person arriving, which I find is quite an easy one to connect with because there's nobody else there, and then how do you or how do you kind of balance that off with you want to get started on the football stuff mm-hmm. but you also want to connect but and there's also 18 different people who have had 18 different days at school sure. or weeks past since you've seen them sure. how do you how do you well what advice would you give for someone in my position like that so i mean the first thing when when they do arrive when players do arrive is is um, or when athletes arrive is I tend to not jump straight into what it is we're doing so I'll give them and especially with kids as well they've, they've probably come from school they've been doing stuff where they're just in complete structure all day so I, I generally I'll give them 5 to 10 minutes um, of just I'm not going to say free play, but just letting them do what, whether it's striking a ball, whether it's juggling around, whether they're playing 3v3, but during that period, I already want to be set up. Sometimes it's not always possible, because I understand there's people may have been on before you, but if I'm set up, that time is a time also for me to go around and speak to the players. I'll catch them on arrival. Um, When I say catch them on arrival, that... We've also touched on it. It doesn't mean you have to go over and you have to shake their hand and be in the face because mm. some players don't like it. I know it's deemed that it's respectful to shake hands, um, but it's not. That's not what everybody, what everybody is comfortable with. So it's just going around and speaking to them on a level that they're comfortable with and taking that time to just make sure that they are. They are comfortable. You know that they're there, they know that you're here and Yeah, how about you Keith? Yeah, I think the David's mentioned it, I think your practice design and your arrival activity can actually enhance and embrace and engage where some players just wanna be in silence. They don't really they're just comfortable with themselves, comfortable with who they're with, rather than going in and you know, invading their little planet. I think we need to give them, it's, it literally is a matter of getting to know who you're working with. Some of them, and it's mentioned in the book, uh, you know, they might want to give you an I-5 and you know, that first contact they have with you, are they, are they actually, are you a true representation of how they want to be treated? Mm. You know, if you get a face that's an angry face, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not walking around with flowers in the mouth, but sure, for sure, they need to be knowing that they're going to be safe, they're going to be looked after, and it's realizing that certain players are not—they don't want any other interaction other than they know that they're with and in mm. a place where someone's going to going to help them. Some of them will give you the I five or an handshake mm. or a fist pump. Some of them, you know, some of the older players, of course, they'll—you know—they give it the old—they give them the shoulder now, don't they? But that part of it, uh, it's what fits for them. 
and then it's if you like calibrating or understanding what works for them and they'll make the first move I think the, that part that interaction other than the footballing can help them for the rest of their life help them put a, put a little layer on and the layer is something where they can they're actually helping to, to get more confidence around wanting to engage with somebody of you know a little older than themselves uh, so it's the, it, it's building communication and the levels of the communication what can help them further down the line one of the uh, one of the things which is important from a coaching perspective is when we're actually talking to them or you know that first interaction wherever it might be is whoever's in and around that so there are the coaches we need to be very receptive to what's going on rather than interfering with because that interaction might actually be delving into and a simple thing like David's mentioned yeah, how's, your, how's your day in school been? Mm. which is a general question so all that does is open a file up in the brain for them around what school's been like for them on that particular day and then the follow up question helps them to dig through another file another chapter in the brain uh, like, well, what have you been doing? What specifically yeah. have you been doing? I think that question is really important, that or the follow up, because I think a lot of people, myself included, will go out there and, with genuine intentions to find out about the day and find out a little bit more and, and to try and connect more. And it, and generally, it will be how's school? Yeah, all right. And that and it stops there. There needs to be another level and and keep drilling and keep drilling. One one thing I've found is. Um, what you know? What's the most exciting? You, especially with the younger kids. What's the most exciting thing you've done this week today? Okay, now you, now you get something a little bit different than just kind of the usual default grunt. Because I just want to go and play football, don't I? That's right. Sorry, I jumped in on you there, Keith. No, 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 well, no. I also think with those questions is the arse is actually to listen to what they're saying. So listening to what they're saying but also being able to revisit it later down the line mm. so you have a an athlete that loves science is using that to create conversation with them at a later date because it shows that you have listened to them and you are paying attention to what they're saying and you're not just asking a question just to ask it just because mm. you feel like you need to it's actually asking to show an interest I think that's a really good point I think when I think back of all the um, children and young people that I've coached the ones who I've probably been able to connect better with are the ones who I've known more about in terms of what other hobbies do they do and just using that as a, as a springboard to, to generate a conversation because if you genuinely show an interest in something other than football I think the message that that sends to that player in person is that you, you value them more than just a footballer yeah, you're actually interested in, in them Deeper, deeper than that. I've had an experience where an experience where one of the boys he, he's got a particular interest. No, you ask the boy, younger ones, what do you like? What's your favourite subject? And well, it's going to be PE, isn't it? Mm. Or for the girls, it might be it might be PE. I don't know, uh, but for sure, for the boys, it tends to be the sporty stuff. And one of the lads. He said, uh, history. Oh, oh, that's okay. 
what have you been doing today then? And he shared with me, he'd been doing something about one of the kings, King Edward the Fifth, I think it was, and all oh, right, that's now I'm not very good at history at all. And I'd asked him, would you bring me some information? Can you write something down? Now, asking him to write something else down or do further work, of course, as long as it doesn't impede with what he needs to do at home. And I got consent because I'd mentioned it to his mum. Look, I've <coughs> mentioned this. I'm just letting you know. So we're getting consent from the parents that, you know, there's something taking place. So they're part of this stakeholder. You know, they mm. know that there's another further deeper engagement taking place with the son. And he came back and he, he hadn't written it. He'd actually, I still have it. He printed it off, but he'd highlighted it as well, some of the detail. And as David mentioned, it's... You just mentioned it actually. What I do is I keep that, I'll log it, and then further down, you know, as the weeks go by, I'll drop back in with what are we doing with the King Edward V? Tell me a little bit more, and it, it just opens them up. Mm. We're not saying is it'll improve them, I just think is it, it just takes the relationship somewhere else, Jack. Yeah, you know, the metaphor, the, the ball is just it's it, the vast majority of players are. In, in, in grassroots and you know those that are uh, fortunate to be playing at academies the vast majority will probably fall out the game because of the demands of the game but whilst they're on this journey we just we just got to make sure that they're having a they're having a, a full 360 degree experience from it as best as we possibly can in the time that we have available with them yeah and you said something before that um, struck a chord with me when and it reminds me it, I might have told this story before probably I was delivering a, a coaching course down in Gloucestershire Tewkesbury it was well, it must have been about 2012 and we were talking about um, we, we were talking about the social corner and interacting and, and improving relationships with players and I flippantly said treat people the way that you, you want to be treated and then I can't remember I wish I can remember the guy's name now but he he, he worked as a kind of consultant I think <laughs> in uh, HR for a, for a big company and he quickly shot me down and said no don't do that and I was like oh go on then and he said don't treat people, treat people how you want to be treated treat people how they want to be treated and that has stuck with me since that day and I, and I yeah you mentioned something before that, that reminded me of that um, and then there was an, another thing David that it just reminded me of there's something that I've built in to my own practice which the players don't know about but they probably will if they watch this what I've tried what I tried to do is um, who, who do I feel on this Wednesday night do I need to uh, have a bit more of a connection with and then subtly that person will end up helping me with the goalposts so moving the goalposts to where they to where they need to be. That person thinks I'm just helping with the goalposts, but mm -hmm. for me, I've got them locked in yeah. to a you know twelve foot away to a, a conversation where we're both working on a task together, walking in the same direction, and I find that I can get more done in those goalpost conversations than I can anywhere else. Mm, yeah. So there was stuff in, in the book that was reminding me of, of those things. Here's our doorbell again. Um yeah, so... What, what value do you put to that, Jack? Uh, 
What, those goalpost conversations? Yeah. Huge. Uh, because I just find in those few minutes I can get more out of somebody um, because they, they can't run off. It, it generally, if, you, if there's football going on and there's games going on and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody while all their mates are playing, they're probably thinking, I, I, you know, I want to get out there. Whereas for some reason you've got them, you've got their attention undivided for a few minutes and you're both working together on something. Mm. So for me, that, that's, that, that's huge value of just being able to deliberately go, can you give me a hand with the goal? Right, now, now we can have a, a walk and a talk and I can find out a little bit more about you, your week, how things are going beyond just yeah. football. What do, you think, what do you think it brings to his world? Uh, I in, would, in him being around someone of he might you might be perceived as someone of authority, but you know it could be a friend. What do you think it brought or brings to them by doing that? Uh, I would like to think that I, I think most I think all relationships are built on a foundation of trust. Mm. So if you've got, if you can if you can have that or you can do things to yeah. enhance that trust. It can only be a good thing as long as it's kept and it's followed through, and your actions are are consistent with with your words. So I would like to think there was, there was some reciprocal value there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree. Where I'm at at the moment is dealing with what the adults would call difficult players. So, and this is something that out there when I'm working with coaches, it's probably the most consistent problem that coaches come to me with is I've got this player or these players who I'm really struggling to deal with and that's kind of my cliffhanger at the moment so you can help me out a little bit so what what's what's some of the advice that you would give to coaches or that you've give, you're giving to coaches here in terms of dealing with what they would perceive to be more difficult characters I think it's very much in context and it's situational depending on the sport, the players, the age group, um, and delving deeper to find out there might be a reason behind it. So if you're working with a kid that's having problems in school and they're bringing those problems that they're having in school to training, most people probably don't know that. They're not aware of it and just perceive it as when they come, they are a problem and difficult. Uh, I think for that, for me, is is again, the questions that you ask can give you an answer that you probably may not expect, but if you dig deeper with the questions that you ask, you could be getting information that can lead to <coughs> lead to uh, to maybe finding out those situations. But I also think interaction with parents can help that. So. Um, whether whether it's a parent or a guardian asking them questions as well and finding out if there's anything that, that they can suggest if there's anything that they know of because for, for children especially they don't really mask emotions so if they're sad you'll probably know that they're sad yeah. if they're angry it's, it's pretty obvious on the face if they're happy you'll, you can see it Whereas I think with adults, it's much easier for them to mask emotions. Yeah. Um, finding out why, 
for me is the key but again you can use the child but you can also use third parties in doing that yeah I think you how you how you engage the first you genuinely wanting there's got to be a wanting desire to help and sometimes they don't want the help they're not looking for the help now we're looking to fix looking to engage for that moment in time in that moment in space where the players we don't know we don't know what's going on in that in that little planet we have no idea we, we don't know whether mum and dad are separating we don't know whether they've had a, an issue in school where bullying is taking place we don't know but if we then engage and ask those type of questions it, it tends to it, my in my experience and in my opinion, it tends to take them further down that route where we don't want to take them. And asking them a question, and it's important, and when we're asking a question why, when there's a negative, the brain will find then, it'll come up with rationale and reasons why they're not feeling X, they're not feeling good. We go down, and really it's a matter of breaking, breaking into, breaking a pattern of, of thought but it's how, how you first get to that interaction. How do we get to that point where you can bring them on board or help them to have an experience where it's, it's manageable for us, it's manageable for them, and it, really all we're doing is taking through a passage of one hour or an hour and a half or however amount of time we're actually on, in this case, football, because we're talking about very, uh, different sports. But I tend to... I tend to ask a general question, and it tends to be the following. I need some help. I'm wondering whether you can help me. And I do it in the way where I'm doing it at the moment. So that there's the, there's the voice tonality and the volume of it, and even where you're now, you approach them, where the arms are, your palms are open. And invariably, if you ask them when they're on their own, there's a chance. I need some help. I'm just wondering whether you look like the person that can help me. Come on here, you. Come on. I need some cones. Can you get go and get those cones? And really, I don't give them an opportunity to think about the question. I've given them, a, I've given them a, an open question, and then I've given them a command. Go and get those cones for me quickly. Go on, off we go. Go on, quick. I'll give you X amount of seconds. I'll give you five seconds. Go on. Five, four. Oh, you've done it in three. Fantastic. That is absolutely brilliant. What a great little helper you are. Now then, what I need to, what I need from you is, so how we engage them, if we get them where we're asking questions around what's not going right, they'll find it. And so therefore, they'll, get it, they'll generate feelings about negative emotion or negative thoughts and then create negative feelings, which then takes them further away from where we want to take them. Now, it's not a cure-all, because there's, you know, the question is quite open. It's got to be in context. We've got to know a little bit more about them. You know, I've had an, I had an experience some years ago, and and, it, and uh, I didn't sleep for a couple of days. I'm thinking, you know, I've got, I've got, a, I think I've got a lot of exp- I have got a lot of experiences. Whether I've used those, the knowledge and the understanding in the appropriate manner at that point, I'm, I'm sure I've got it wrong many, 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 many times. But I was mentoring a young lad who was doing a B license and the, the the team that he was working with he didn't know all the players it was like an all-star team 
that was coming from within his own club and there were a mix of under 13s and he he got this he got this mix he got them and all I was basically doing is finding out what the session was with with the the intention at some point I'll be dropping in to 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 do some work with the group and he had a young lad there who oh, I thought was fantastic, very polite, and he's shaking hands, and he'd shake hands with me, and then he'd shake hands with the coach, then he'd shake hands with all the players again, <laughs> and then he'd come round again and doing the th- so, and then you're thinking, I actually think he's now, he's playing on this. So then when the ball started rolling, is he, he would be very extremely disruptive, and uh, I, I actually, it was annoying to the extent where I'd said to the coach, you better go and sit him out, go and sit him out for a minute, and and so he did do, and I thought that that'll sort him. Anyway, the minute gone, he came back on, and he'd he'd do something else. He'd go and wallop somebody, or he'd be go around shaking hands. What's your name again? He'd come over, and you think, well, I'm not paying any attention to you anymore. Go on, get out of here. Go on, get out of here. <laughs> so I ignored him, and then he, you'd see him on the touchline. He'd be off for a minute. Anyway, when it came round to my, for me to then deliver the session. Uh, there's one thing for sure is, and I think it's important that there's got to be rules for everything that we do. And if we allow players the opportunity to create their own rules around how things need to be done, then it's chaos. It can be chaos. So as a coach, we need to set rules. And I just have a saying, and uh, the inmates must never be allowed to run the asylum. <laughs> and, and so therefore... What those, what that framework is. This is what we're playing. This is how we're playing it, and then it's it just flows, isn't it? But this young lad, he was, he was causing all. So he spent more time off the pitch than he did on it. So at the end of the session, the chairman of the club came over to me and he said, "I don't know whether you know about little fella." I said, "I don't know." He's got his, uh, got a learning disability. He's got ADHD. Right, and there I am, teaching as a tutor. I think we know a little bit around, but I hadn't tuned in to the other alternatives, the other options. Neither did I get to know. No, I didn't have the opportunity to meet with the player mm. beforehand. Or right, that was my excuse. I didn't know him. Now going forward, his dad came over to me afterwards, and I, I said, "Look, I, I apologise. I didn't get to know him." But next week. Uh, if I could take your telephone number, if you don't mind, I'd like to give some thought around how we can how we can take this forward to help your son and help the experience because they become a distraction, don't they? You know, from the, the more energy is then spent in around maintenance, working with the distraction rather than working with players that mm. want to be there. So I, I it took I didn't sleep I didn't sleep particularly well thinking about that feedback ne- mechanism so uh, we've planned it we've we've done it and now we need to desperately review it and, and my reflection on it and, and taking forward I, I'd ask the dancer if possible would it would you be able to bring him down five ten minutes before the session starts yes great but myself and the other coach there and what we'll do, we'll do a little bit of work with him on his own and we'll ask, he doesn't need to know so don't, you know, just keep it to us at the moment whether he'll help us to set up 
and that made a significant difference to the experience at that time. Now, that's not always going to work because you've got the weather and the environmental issues. And I understand that, and parents can't bring them down. But, that, but once we start to find out a little bit more about them and then ask them questions, it's not the question, it's how we ask the question. You know, how we use the body and, you know, open palm and if you get them on their own, listen, I'm just wondering whether you can help me today. Uh, I just need some hand, I need a hand with the, with the girls. Those are important, little subtleties, but they're, they're important that we're aware of it. I think the, the journey as a coach is finding out what functions and what doesn't. And that certainly works. And it's just a strategy, Jack, I'm yeah. sure. For sure, it's not the only one. No, no, I agree, and I think the rather than I think it's the principle rather than the actual tactic itself, isn't it? The principle is that you're trying to um, create opportunities where there's moments for you and said player to have an interaction. What what would be the the kind of follow up then? So principally, I've got I've got a moment one to one with the player. I need some help. We're we're, we're working on something together. How how can I let's say I've got a um, a player who is uh, let's say for example talented good good player but doesn't treat teammates very well so I've created that opportunity I need some help how do I then go about interacting with him in a way that gets him to think about or try or you know we we try and improve the way that he treats his teammates on the pitch how old uh, let's say teenager. Okay. So my understanding of you got a player that's disrespectful with his teammates. Uh, how long has he been with his with his group? Uh, let's say um, since since they've been started playing, so number of years. Yeah. What's the follow up? Exactly. I think you, you you start you just put little layers down. You're only putting marker down. As when we start to engage with them, they're going to know that there's a benefit for them first, because they ain't going to make changes. It's just that's how they operate. Unless they know what the benefit is, they'll continue to do the same thing, because there's there's nothing there's no gain for them. So I think uh, without having lots of context here, if I can go back to the experience that we had with the player. That makes sense. All that, all that we did is he did come back, and there was value in spending some one-to-one time with him prior to the session starting. So he saw the value for him, where he he could see an improvement in his performance. Now, when there's distraction taking place, all we had to do is just create a little trigger for him so that he would be. And, and it took it, it did take a, se- a series of weeks to get him so that you know it was just a either a thumbs up or it was a uh, you know verbal command or verbal uh, uh, saying from the young coach who's taking him through this experience it certainly helped now that doesn't say that didn't mean it, but it's got to be consistent the message you've got to be consistent and you've got to be firm with it because we're, you know, we're fluffing around and you know, trying to get next. We've got to get to the point quickly because the energy we've got as a coach, we've got to spend 
or you've got to evaluate what time's been spent with X and you've got X's or O's somewhere else mm. and so it's, it's the value, it's trade a trade-off. Off. Trade-off, isn't it, yeah. It's a trade-off. But without a doubt, there's a massive value to, to working hard at looking at ways, little strategies where what's the benefit for the player, for him? And he's got to, they, he or, or her, they've got to experience that, where, they, where they're going with it. So the one-to-one stuff, where it was more technical bits, so we're working in a different corner, where the board felt valued coming down slightly earlier, because he felt good about that. There are coaches spending time with me, and it seemed to have, it seemed to have a benefit for the, for the, old, for the group itself. Mm. But if we hadn't known he had ADHD, would have just he'd have spent more. He would probably wouldn't have been in the group at all. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult because there's that many different strategies to be used in in terms of breaking the state and not trying to go down the route of what's creating and causing. It's it, it's actually giving them a command so they don't have time to think, and then it's how you do it. So there's a sharpness around it. Go and get the cones. Fantastic, great give you five seconds, giving them some type of constraint whereby they, they get it, they come back, and then how do you, when they come back, or they achieve that, it's what do you do to stack up this feeling of significance for them. So there's a layering of, 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 of information which helps them to feel, you know, they're, 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 they're making me feel important here. Yeah. David, since since you've been you've been coaching quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a good few years. Now. Yeah, I've I've found that with with habits, it's probably easier to subtract than add on. So it's probably I find that think it easier to stop doing things than to start doing new things. Mm-hmm. Is there any habits that you've changed in your own practice as a process of go, of going through this? Anything that you do differently now in your own coaching? Yeah. Um... So I think, uh, I think you build off experiences, whether the the good or bad experiences. So when I played, I worked with coaches that made me feel good about stuff, and that I would take stuff from them. Um, so what would an example of that be then? An example of where a coach has made you feel good. So it would be, I mean, one of the one of the coaches that I. I'd probably say I remember the most would be when I was an under ten at Blackburn Rovers, and I remember the way that he made me feel, and that was eighteen years ago. Oh. So, what did I, he do? I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you what he said. And it's funny because the the main quote in the book is people will may remember what you say, or they may forget what you say. Sorry, they may forget what you did, but they'll never forget how he made you feel. And I. I can see the way he acts, I can hear his voice, I couldn't tell you exactly what he'd said to me, I couldn't give you a specific time where I went, that was it, but 18 years down the line I can still remember how he made me feel, but also how the group interacted collectively. and I think that I look at that when I start when I started coaching and, and you look at those experiences and you think 
I want to take things from that that I will then utilize. So just the way that he was with players, he was very warm and welcoming with them. And that was something he he was just a big teddy bear. And I wanted to, to take some of that. But at the same time, I had experiences as a player where I guess I didn't feel valued or I felt like I wasn't cared for. Um, and where I, I just didn't feel good about being in, in those environments. So what was what actions did the coach do to make you feel like that? Oh. I think it was a lack of interest or a lack of... Yeah, I th- I'd say a lack of interest in, in what was right for me. And I understand that in team sports... If you're working with 30 players, you, you can't spend all of your time with one person, but you can spend time with them. And you can take time to to do little things that, that can make them feel good. So I, I look at an experience, it would have been five, six years ago, where my I was in the States and my, my granddad was he, was, he was pretty ill at the time. And I actually, I flew home for, for 10 days to see him and on arrival back in America no, there, was n- there was never a question of how he was which just a little example where some people may think it sounds like nothing but when it's personal to you it actually is a big deal yeah. because there's an interest in knowing who my granddad is to me the question would mean more so um, little, little examples like that and I I took from that of how I want to and how I don't want to to act with players. So I think in writing the book, it became more evident. And and since since we started actually writing in July, I've seen a change in my behaviour too. So where what, what, what would an example of that be? So with players that I've worked with, there was there was there was one player that I have worked with where he family issues. Um, were, I don't want to go into full detail of, of, of that, but there were family issues. Um, he was, in previous years, one of the better players in the group. And wouldn't if he showed up for training, he'd be, he wouldn't be engaged. He wouldn't really interact with the coaches. He'd probably be messing around with his, with his teammates. He was also phys- from a physical aspect out of shape, but I then found out that not through him but through someone else that the reason he was like that was because of the family issues. So I actually set out to to build a, a relationship with him. And when he came in at the start it was just very simple stuff of finding out how his day had been, what he'd been up to, um, just making him feel comfortable in arrival and it's good to see you again, and looking forward to. I'm looking forward to working with you today. We've and I'd set out practices <coughs> were specific for him, where he was the focal point at times, and and it was a it was really cool. I think as time went on over the space of about four weeks, where I saw a change in his behaviour to the point where when he was arriving, he was much warmer with other people but he would actually he was coming over actually wanting to speak to me 
and and it also reflected in his performance. So he, I think, when people feel good about something, they're more likely to to want to do it more. And in sports, if they feel good about coming, if they feel good about coming to training and they enjoy it, they're more likely to to perform better and they're more likely to learn more. Yeah, if you don't enjoy something, it generally yeah. is reversed. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, and it reminded me of something that I read in there around, uh, and this was a, one of those put the book down moments and stop and think, yeah, I've probably been doing that, where I think you said that people will live up to the expectations that you put on them. So subconsciously, if you've got the, um, and I think was it was this, some research that was done where a school had told some teachers some fictitious uh, lie around the the grades that they expected these children to get, mm-hmm. which was based on nothing, mm-hmm. and and the teachers started to whether they realised it or not treat those high and expected high and expected low achievers in such a way that that was the the grades that they ended up getting. Yeah, that's right. And so if you start to label players as um, as in your own head as uh, you know how you expect them to to do, mm-hmm. they will generally live up to those mm-hmm. or, or not. Or not? Yeah, yeah, I think you probably you, I'd probably good if you can flesh that one out. Well, it's it's in the book. It's actually in the book. Uh, do you wanna? Yeah. So the 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 what the study that was done, and this was. I don't think you get ethical approval for you that one. You wouldn't get ethical <laughs> approval on it now, but it was done a long time ago. I think it was sixty, seventy, yeah. maybe eighty years ago. Where um, a group of researchers went into a school and told teachers and it was completely false they actually told teachers that some of the group were strivers and high achievers and through tests that were done they were expected to achieve high results some of them were expected to maintain and there were others in the group that were expected to drop off the teachers had no idea that it was a, a fictitious story and that none of, the, none of what the researchers had said was false and in turn, the, what was found that the kids that were told would do better did. The ones that were told would maintain the middle of the group did, and the ones that would have a severe drop-off did. And it was based around the teacher's behaviour towards the kids and how they labelled them. So if I, if I have this perception that a child is a troubled child the likelihood of me treating them as a troubled child will then reflect mm. what they are, where in reality it's that person is just a child. And your job is to, to depending on the context, to, to help them and, and steer them on a, on a path where they may be in a better situation than when you actually started with them. So I think the label that you put on people will reflect your behaviour and how you act towards them, which in turn reflects how they mm. perform and and what they act like. Mm. Be careful of labels. You've got to be very careful about labels and language. And <coughs> are we are we ultimately treat people is or are we get treated can sometimes be down to the response we provide or the questions we pose of players, or the feelings we generate towards them. 
They're going to be extremely careful about that. And I think because of this build-up of experiences and accumulation of knowledge that's in the book, and it's not an extensive list of people that's been involved with it. It's a it's a it's an exist it's a list of bodies that have got lots and lots of experiences in dealing with, and have got lots of similarity in the character and have elements of success in, in getting the best from their charges, their athletes. So, you know, that it, it would be nonsense or idiotic of us to use our own experiences whereby we've, we've not, we've tapped into others. Those significant others have played and contributed an immense part in this, in this experience that we're currently going through with, with, with the book. But the the language that's used is yeah, we've got to be very careful yeah. as coaches, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, no, I, I, very careful. And I think as well as that is <coughs> the language and and how you perceive what you see is is important too because if I'm talking to you and you're not looking at me, it doesn't mean you're not listening to me. And I think, again, that's an old age thing where we need to have eye contact. And if you're not looking at me, you're not listening. When in reality, what's comfortable for you might be that you don't want to make eye contact. Or you might actually be thinking about what I'm saying. Um, and I had a, an experience where <coughs> and I was actually, I've been doing it while I've been sat here. I've, I've been had my arms folded because it's comfortable. Um, and I actually got got told while I was playing that when I did this it meant I wasn't listening to you mm. and in reality that wasn't the case because that for me I'm either, it could mean a number of things you could be cold, you could be comfortable so just being mindful of of guessing what somebody's thinking or presuming that something is what it is because that's just what you think it is when in reality you don't really know. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've, I've seen uh, coaches get really frustrated when they're talking to a group and and 14 of the group might be making eye contact but there's one person who isn't and that, you know, the coach doesn't feel that he or she can start speaking until everybody is, is locked in on eye contact but some people struggle <coughs> with that. And yeah. Yeah, it's those, um, <coughs> being careful around those assumptions, isn't mm-hmm. it? That, you know, just because you're folding your arms doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you're being negative it might mean you're cold actually mm-hmm. um so yeah be, be careful not or being careful not to jump to too many conclusions sure i i, I had oh, well like for time are we good yeah yeah we're good yeah we uh we could be getting dinner we could be getting lunch <laughs> we carry on here. we had an experience a few years ago it's actually in the book called the the lone wolf uh, and so the lone wolf, I didn't know at the time, but it, I learned so much from their experience. Uh, and it's the catalyst, really one of the foundations behind the book. And where this boy, and, and I'd experienced it before, having travelled to uh, South Africa. Uh, where you, you sometimes in other parts of the world where you people they don't they don't look at you you know they don't look at you when you're talking to them it's just cultural 
we've got to be very careful about that because it, it then can be you know massively important where you're asking a boy or, a, or an athlete to look at you in the eye and it's against it's just disrespectful for them as youngsters to do that because that's the way they're brought up and I, I I didn't I didn't really didn't really know because I like if you're wanting an interaction from a group you just want them to be engaging with you and you want them to look at you well it doesn't necessarily mean they're actually listening to you when they look because they'll go into a catatonic state and just look and they're just not in, they're not actually taking any information on board but at least you've got their attention and this boy wouldn't he just he never looked me in the eye at all and I found that disrespect I found that disrespectful because that's that's not the way I'm brought up. Yeah. You're going to look me in the eye when I'm... In actual fact, when I actually started to dig a bit more and do a little bit of research and find about find out about more about him and the family and the culture where he came from originally is... That's not what they do. They, they, you know, not all of them, but you know, he'd look at me and he, he wouldn't look me in the eye. And that then took me on a massive journey, uh, Jack. And it's in the first chapter of the book, actually. It's this lone wolf, and it's only when I started to dig a little bit deeper, it that that young boy back then didn't know and still doesn't know what he has done for me as a person, what he's done for me as a coach. Because the more and more I'm finding out. The more and more I want to find out about things, the more and more I find out I don't know. I just don't know. The more and more I think I know, the more and more I find out I've got to find out and get a little bit more around engagement and connection. And so the experiences that we've, you know, gathered and collated and, and the people that are in the book, it's all around this connection piece. It, 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 it starts there, it's, the X's and O's, you get players out there and so what will happen is the, if we are unconsciously, so the players or athletes are unconsciously comfortable with us because we've built up this element of comfort, whatever that might mean for them, but they, they can trust you and that takes time when they know you're consistent with your messages, which takes time, but when you're very firm with it, and they know at a point where I think I think we either stop messing about it because there's not going to be any change. We either change or we've got to comply. There has to be there has to be pieces of that where they you know they, they come under this umbrella of now I know I'm, I'm in the right place. When when players are unconsciously when they're um, their unconscious mind is comfortable with, with what's being said, it doesn't mean they're going to agree with you. It just means there'll be less of a, a, a disruption. They'll be more at ease with you. When our conscious mind is, uh, when we don't get any connection with them, they will more critically analyse you, what you do and how you do it. As a, your, and your content, your information might be brilliant, but they'll shut down. So the, the stressing and the importance of how we go about building relationships is it's massive, not just in sport, but in a business world in the business world and, and in our own in our own lives. 
So this young boy that I'm referring to, uh, and there's many of them by the way, but this particular boy, uh, when I actually started to think about him, I started to think more about me and how I went about doing what I do. And that's, I found out that the lone wolf, in actual fact, was was me. He got me to reflect deeply about me and that moments in silence and when you're, you know, when you're on your own and being comfortable on your own and do I have to comply with the world or does the world have to comply with me? It's a matter of working with the world and working in the space you're in and being comfortable in that, which this moment in time I'm very comfortable with it but that's how it, that's how each and every athlete is they're all like that we've got to be respectful of that space so we don't have to go out and fix everybody and neither do we need to engage everybody what we're going to do is got to be receptive and aware that there are other things taking place in somebody else's world and I think if we're if we if we're more attuned to that rather than the X's and O's of working and coaching sessions and spending lots of time coaching the session instead of working with players and coaching them or coaching him or coaching her, then our experience becomes as our athletes play with. We've got to start at a point where the first interaction that takes place could very well be the most important one for them. Because is it for us to change them or do we do we are we are we going to be more flexible? to go into their little planet and I think that's in, in, in my or our opinion that's where we're going to start yeah. but it's got to come from the right place inside the body where there is a generosity of time uh, and a generosity of care where we do care about them and whether they because the, the players you, you only need to put one mix in there to change, change the dynamic of one group, one player, put him somewhere else, a person somewhere else. Everything changed, mm. like a chemical, like a chemistry lab. Blue touch paper, and then you go back to the drawing board. Well, uh, welcome to coaching. Yeah. So, well, talking of change, one of one of the questions that I sent you guys before we started this was, uh, and it's a, an important question to me because I think we we can quite become entrenched in our own views, and and so I quite I like the question. You know, what have you changed your mind about? So since you since you started coaching, what what are some of the things that you've yeah you've wow. changed your mind about? Um, I think mine from from playing. So as a player um, and a captain while I was playing, I wanted everything to be done. When I say my way, but the way that I thought was right mm. as a player. So we all had to wear the same tracksuit and we all had to be there at X time. We had to do everything as I wanted it done because I felt that was what was best for the group. And it was only, it was only I think, afterwards, really on, on true reflection of it, when... In reality, someone wearing flip-flops instead of trainers, there's no impact on what happens because if they are comfortable doing that, then that's fine. 
and I think that I was quite strict and stringent with that and there, there would there'd be many different examples of you know training I, I would look at the warm-up and if you I was at the front of the warm-up and if you were at the back you probably weren't paying attention and now I go, that's yeah, absolutely insane because people may adjust that they have probably socialising with the mates at the back of the warm-up because they need to whereas for me I wanted to be at the front and I felt like I had to be at the front because that was how I got engaged but what I did isn't right for everybody else so I did that as a player uh, and even though I had good relationships with teammates I do think on reflection I could have done a better job and then I from from reflection going into coaching realised that you know it's not the way that it works because it's not one shoe doesn't fit every single person mm. and and treating people differently and letting them have freedom within structure is very important what about you Keith have you changed your mind of, of your vast coaching journey I think I don't think there's any one I don't think there's any one thing, Jay. I think there's a there's a there's an accumulate an accumulation of one little change can change how you then start to think. But I think it's been more receptive. You know, when I first, I'll never forget it. I was fortunate enough to be involved in a, a good a good centre of excellence back then, as there are many others, of course, but. Uh, I think it's allowing other people into your, into our world as a coach, rather than being the be all and end all of. You know, I've got the, uh, I've got all the information, got all the answers. I think it's been more receptive to colleagues and asking questions, and equally uh, being acceptance of feedback. So the feedback is, you know, I I thought, I mean, you wouldn't get my ego when I first started off. You would not. You wouldn't. Where we, this particular area, which is a lovely area that you live, I uh, you won't get my ego in it. Cause I, I had all the answers. I had I, I knew everything, and it's only when you you come across other people of of uh, who have presence, you just know that they know, and they know they know. We can't explain it or, or define. I think we call it X factor, don't we? But I and I I thought I had. Well, I didn't even know they existed until you then meet people that have come into my life, and you go, maybe I need to, I need to consider how I operate, how I do things, what I have got, and what I've do do a lot more of now is, uh, I'm very much, I'm very interested in personal development, as you know, and. I think it's when you start looking outside. When when we look at things differently, things change. So when you change that, what you look at, what you look at does have a slightly different perspective rather than looking at it, well, there's only this one option. Well, there is from my own planet. So then when I ask someone else, what do you think? So I've been being more receptive has been... Uh, Although, you know, I still have, and I think it's important, by the way, we have a certain set of principles and beliefs how things, how people need to be treated. 
I think they they will they won't change because I think they're um, they're entrenched. But how I go about working <coughs> with them, if there's a better, more uh, impactful option or alternative, I will will have a look at it. Mm. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I will give it I will give it a I'll give it some thought. Yeah, you said feedback a minute ago. Sure. And and receiving feedback. So how, how have you, or how do you go about receiving feedback? Right, so, you want me to carry on, or go for it? Right, we're in. Uh, we're on a, we're on a go. It was we're a load of question that, David, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't actually a question, was it? I'm giving him some thought to, uh, giving him some thought to think. Uh, I might drain the, I might drain all the answers now, but, uh, what was your question? Feedback. Right. Receiving. Yeah, what what we're going to do? We got to see, to get feedback. We need to have a response, and the responses only come from an experience. That's all it is. Expe- so we go. Well, I'm going to get feedback for something that's not taken place yet. Something in the future. We've got to experience it, but but we've got to experience it from. And I used to I used to just I deliver a session, and I had so many fantastic sessions brilliant session that, that I thought years ago and I had no intention to hurt or hinder somebody's progress but I just thought well, everything that I did was very good <laughs> little did I know is only when I started to ask questions of them but watching is one of the biggest things Jack so the feedback mechanism is we deliver we then need to in the moment look for the response and check for the response and is it consistent with the normal behaviour and if it's not then we need to be more flexible in how we go about doing things uh, there is a there's a law and it's it, it's a law of requisite variety better write that I don't yeah. have to write it <laughs> yeah, it's but, just but the, uh, the law of requisite I asked this have you heard of that before I haven't actually good I can make it I've just made it up then it's a fancy word the law of requisite variety is that any man or machine that has the widest available options available to them has the greatest chance of running that or controlling that system. So what is important is if it doesn't work and you continue to do the same thing, which is what I've done in the past, and I'm no doubt I'll do in the future, but not knowingly, is you've got to change things but it comes from the responses so things outside of us and being particularly mindful of and being tuned in to observe it, observation skills so having a little bit more sharpening the, the lenses of the eyes and when you ask a question and then checking the responses you know you mentioned about folding arms earlier well you know, you always know if somebody's not paying attention. If they, you know, they if they put their head on the, <laughs> you know, there's something not quite right. You either bore them to death, but you're paying attention to what's actually taking place in front of us, because the information is there. It's outside of us. We've got to be paying attention to what's happening in the moment. Now, of course, we can't observe everything, but we've got to be paying attention to some of it. So, uh, watching and listening, and then I've been. You know, having people that you can trust, you know, the, the, the friends and, and colleagues that you go, I've got this, you then share it. And I, I call it the hidden school. It, it's, 
there's an opportunity where you never really know where the where the next learning is going to take place. It could be in the room or it could be in an elevator, and you you're just talking to someone, and they come up with a they come up with there's a conversation taking place about a specific subject, and then they give you a you know they give you something from left field. You think, crikey, I never thought about that. That's a great way to consider or to go about doing next for me next time. So, what's in front? Watching them, paying attention, and then equally, when I go into when my moments of silence and when I'm driving home, where where the, my internal dialogue then starts to, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And I'm only getting my perspective, which is neither wrong or right, but I live with it. But so to get a more expansive view, it's a matter of I've had this. What have you have you had something similar in the past? Yes. So that's this being contacting a friend, phoning a friend, uh, and getting the get a different view. And mm. it doesn't necessarily have to be in the sport. Mm. No, David. Yeah, I think with that, with the question, you only know what you actually you only know what you know. So if you want to. <coughs> If you want to learn something new or you want to find out about something new that you don't already know about, you have to look outside anyway. Um, and I have a, a friend who's he's in his 70s now. And he actually, he actually want, was one of the people that proofread the book for us. And it's insane, absolutely insane how we met him. We were in, I'd been in the States, um, I'd, I'd come back this was 2012. I'd come back in the May. I was actually moving to North Carolina. So I'd been away for, for five months, six months, and my dad was in delivering a course in Preston. So I drove up on the Saturday, and we sat at the dinner, I'm sat next to the CEO of this company. Right, no problem, so he goes outside. And prior to this, we'd had, we had been talking about, you know, what, what my, journey was what I was planning on doing what was what was going to be happening and he went outside and he came back in and he said I've just met three guys from North Carolina and we're in Preston so for those that, that don't know it's not a big town and there's not many people that live in Preston that aren't from Preston so to get someone I mean we were we were probably 15 minutes we were in the middle of nowhere in this hotel so to get these three guys from North Carolina so when he comes in, there's three guys, I didn't believe him. I g genuinely didn't, I said, yeah, yeah, okay. He said, no, honestly, they'll be in the bar afterwards. He said, they'll buy you a drink. And So anyway, we finished the dinner. I go into the bar with the three of us, so myself, my dad, and, and, and Dave, the, the CEO. We go into this bar, and two of, there's two of the three guys sat there. A guy called George Collins and, and another guy called Porter Thompson, who passed away now. Um, but was sat and very well presented. Yeah. Very dapper. You know, Saturday night. And they got their they got their uh, stars and stripes. Really well presented gentlemen. Yeah. So we sit down and the the conversation. There's obviously some similarity because I'm moving to North Carolina. They're from North Carolina and. 
conversation escalated. We had a, a good chat, but we were there for probably an hour and a half, two hours, and there's a business card and keep in touch. And, and I think at the time, you never, you never know what's going to come of it. I had no intention of, of it being what it is today. Um, so that was in the May. I, we kept in contact. There was an odd email here or there. And I moved over to, to North Carolina two months later. And, and that August, so three months after we met, uh, my parents, my sister and my nan came over to, to North Carolina. And George lived about an hour and a half from where I was. Him and his wife, Murray, drove down and we met. Had dinner, had a real good chat. And since then, and that is seven years, it's, it's almost eight years ago now, I speak to him at least at least once a month sometimes more and he's 71 I'm only 28 so it's a friendship it, it is a friendship but the amount that I learned from him in the in the past seven years or so six six and a half seven years the amount that I've learned from him not not really nothing to do with sports just about life that if I hadn't have gone into that room and, and sat with him and, and been receptive to what was going on, I, I probably would have lost out on on a lot because I've gained a lot from him. So being open to, to people that you meet, being open to, to what's going on around you and being receptive to it because I don't think, I don't think you ever know where you're going to learn something from and where you're going to take your next learning from. As long as you're open and receptive to it, that's the main thing. Because you may not take something from some situations, but as long as you're open and receptive <laughs> to learning and to being to putting yourself in situations where you can learn, and yeah. I think that's probably been the most or one of the most valuable things about my own formal coach education journey. So I did. The old. We were talking about this with a colleague yesterday. I did the old on my sixteenth birthday. Level two. The, no, the, it was called the junior team managers. Oh, it was before yeah, the. Right. Well, that was now even the level one, and I remember uh, I'd had a driving lesson that day, and then the, the club, the grassroots club, I was I was a member of. They they paid for me to do the junior team managers award, and so I did that, and then went to university, did my level two there, made made some contacts there, and then. Uh, my I did my UA for B when I with Gloucestershire FA, uh, and I, I was it was so lucky because they had a, a course running, and I happened to have just graduated from university, and one of my best friends at the time from uni lived just by Gloucestershire FA, so I didn't have to pay any accommodation costs. I got a credit card, I didn't have a job, but I got a credit card somehow maxed it out booking flights and hire cars and things like that and stayed at my friend's house and on that course there was I think 24 or so on the course somewhere between 24 and 30 and I'm probably still in touch with uh, a good do a dozen of those of that cohort are working in and around the game you know there's right. one one in particular who uh, uh, is working out in Perth where I went a few years ago, there's, there's people dotted all over the place, um, but it's those keeping those connections that that you make. Um, a bit like yourself, Keith. You know when we when we yeah, met. That's right. uh, what would that have been about two thousand and six? 
on yeah. a psychology course, wasn't it? That's it right. was probably the week before actually that. Yeah. Um, because yeah, they, they, that network is a you know massive value. It's <coughs> it's the hidden school. Yeah. I think how you treat people. It's I say undervalue a lot, but I think it from it's how you treat people, and if you've got a genuine interest to want to find out, we'll find out if we genuinely want to. And this opportunity, this, this it, it was nuts, really. That David's experiences, uh, you know, taking him to where he is currently, based on just that one interaction that took place. Well, several interactions, which seemed at that point back at back in whenever it was when we were in Preston. Uh, you know, things change and how they evolve. Because you know, if we don't work in this space, we'll, we'll be doing something else. It's what we do in, it's what you do in the space, really. And I guess in football or any sport, it's what you do in that space. Is if you go in with an open, well, it's an open art. If you go in there with a, a desire to want to do something and to learn something, something will take place, and someone, of outside of that, watching it, will pick up from it and there'll be some element of engagement taking place. So it, I, opportunities everywhere, it's, it's the hidden school. Mm. That, you know, I don't, uh, and that's how this is all taking place, because you and I met 2006, Jack? I think so, yeah, pretty sure. Wow, uh, yeah, I remember that quite clearly. I don't remember exactly what happened in 2006, but I do remember that course. Yeah. Sure. So. You know the uh, go on. You no, just well for me. I, that was just going to kind of lead me on to another question. So for me, at that time, that was a an investment in myself. At the time, I probably saw that investment purely as a, a formal qualification. But actually, what is it? What it's ended up being is the the investment has been the network that that I've gained and the people that I've met along the way. That was a a, a really can force segue into you know throughout your coaching careers your journeys what what have been some of the best investments that you've made mm. in yourself um, well, you got one. I'm waiting for you yeah the I think the best investment in me has been If I had to delve deeply around it, and I, I don't know where we're, uh, it's been the relationship building stuff. You know, my my best friends and the people that I that I've got in my life now have all come through through football. Uh, they're of delivery, of course. A delivery of whilst I've been as a participant, or of things outside of. You know, obviously the psychology stuff that I've delivered as well but the uh, that greatest investment in them has contributed to because I think one of the important things and it's massive is uh, maybe years ago no longer but years ago I'd always go into what certain experiences or interaction what can I get from it what can I get from meeting Dick Bates 
who is a legend. What can I get from him? What can I get from Justin Albrook or Darren Moore or Kevin uh, Kevin Harper? Uh, Ryan, what, am I going, what are they going to give me? What, what's going to come from that? Pete Sturgis, what am I going to get from Pete? I, I, I don't go in with that now. I go in with what can I give to mm. them? And if it's nothing, then that's fine. It might just be a phone call and I'm not bringing anything, but you're just waiting for that little spark of an interest. So I go in now genuinely with the intention of what can I offer them? And if something comes back, great. But that, so it might have been, it's different nowadays to what I might have done in the past. Uh, but of course, I can't bring the clock back. I know being more receptive to is a big important thing from my perspective. Mm. And David's alluded to it, although we haven't mentioned it, is befriending or finding a mentor. You know, a mentor, you know, my, one of my footballing mentors. Uh, and I've got a few, but well, I say a few, making it sound like there's a there's a, there's a, there's a big box of them. And there isn't. There's, it was it was Dick Baird, mm. of which you have met, and many who were actually listening might have heard of him, or could have had the opportunity to have been in his presence. So, you know, just listening to him, or him actually listening to me, and then there'd be a spark. So. What we're gonna, what are they gonna offer me, or what am I gonna offer them? Is one of the biggest, and, that, and that's been a radical change for me. Knowing from, and you know, I mentioned this lone wolf, and there's a bit more about it in the book. Uh, but it, there's 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 a, there's a presentation that I that I that I built a PowerPoint presentation around, not necessarily the book, but that's where it really sparked the real interest of these, you know, the the book Goldust uh, that that we've co-authored, but. You know, great credit to is taking, I'm, and I'm not being humble or being mm. honest. Is uh, the vast amount of work has been done by David, and all I've done is just passed the ball on to him, and he's his receiving skills have been outstanding, <laughs> uh, and his finishing has been world class. And so, I, but it, it, it's it's the, the little particles of little nuggets of, of an accumulation of built up. And then all of a sudden you get a spark of another interest, and there'll be other books. I know there's going to be there's already another book in the making, uh, but my learnings of you know, this, it, I'm waffling on a little bit. No, I think they give it. Have you heard of a guy called Adam Grant? I think I think uh, Stanford, Stanford or Harvard, like a bit a uh, business psychologist. I think, um, but he's a really interesting read and follow but he he has done some research around um givers and takers i think he 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 calls it and that um when you when you look at those interactions or what people go interactions with the mindset of of actually giving offering something to try and enhance somebody else or looking at it from the other way is what what can i gain from this interaction um the organizations in the larger, better off when they've got more givers than takers, which mm. I guess when you think about it is is fairly common sense. But sure. it's it's breaking that down to an individual mm. level. You know what interaction, or how are you approaching that interaction? Yeah. Yeah. 
What about you, David? Good time to think about it now. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got it. Um, the biggest investment? I said there's a few. I, I think... Because my story was <coughs> quite an interesting one when I was... So from playing to the transition into coaching, I was still coaching while I was playing. I was just I had a lot of injuries. Um, and the last one resulted I had hip surgery I was 25 and I had to to retire and I think there were periods where I went I guess you would say off grid where I would just disappear from whether it be social media or I'd I'd just disappear not physically disappear Um, I wouldn't just take off and come back three months later but but what would be seen when I say that I would be learning learning about myself learning about other things so and after I had after I had my hip surgery I spent probably two to three months um, I'd already I'd, I'd got my B license at that point um, but I'd spent two to three months in that period doing a lot of reading um, watching other people because I couldn't do anything I couldn't physically do anything and, and I found in those times was where I really found out who I was and what I wanted and what I wanted to do. So those those periods were, were huge investment times where when I came out of it, I was clear around what I wanted, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to, to act around other people. Um, and I've, I, I've, I've had a few periods where I've just, I think writing the book, I mean, it was... We said we started in July, really actually writing, and it got published at the end of November. 27th of November, it came out on Amazon. So that amount of time, yeah, that minimum amount of time, an aggressive build, if you like, was obviously yeah. constructed through you know this accumulation of knowledge and information and. Uh, gatherings and learnings and findings that David, I'm sure, and I've interrupted him, has, has been able to then utilise. Mm. Yeah, mm. and that, well, that, that period as well of four months was probably, if not the biggest learning period I've had. So even though I've, something's been constructed and written that can provide value to other people, but the amount that I learned writing it, and I was off grid when I did it. Mm. I was just at. I mean, besides besides the people in Starbucks who know my order and <laughs> the, the my on the registration for the car, my car's ahead of all the staffs now. Yeah. But I spent my time in Starbucks for four months, besides coaching, um, in for the club in Liverpool while I was waiting for the visa. I was just in Starbucks and I was writing and I was learning. And that period, while I was doing it, I could feel so I could feel change happening, and I could feel learnings happening. But the nice thing was, I was actually doing it where it would provide benefit to other people too. And that, you know, for if you want to create, if you want to go out and create things, you, you can sit back and watch others do it and admire and think what it'd be like being sat where they are and in actual fact the reality of it is 
you gotta get out. You gotta go up and get going. I know it's it, it's that old cliche. If you want something doing, go and do it. That is exactly what's taken place because the the compilation of this experience and the 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 outcome of it, which we're really pleased with, is just dedicated time based off what knowledge we had, I have had, direction, well, we didn't have, we didn't set out, I like clarity, I like knowing, oh, you get do. to the end at the beginning, I, like, I want to know, but I want to know the micro detail, I want to know where we're going. It wasn't that, was it? No. It was a, we're at, there's a book. We knew what we wanted it to be about, but everything in between was just missed. It was just fog, it was where mm. are we going, and there were, I think there were points where, it was really exciting, and I could, I could see things coming together, and there'd be times I'd be looking at it and go, where is this going? I have no idea what's going on here, and I have no idea how this is going to be a book. And the funny thing is, looking back at those times now, from the from the, the day it got released, two days after, it's been a bestseller on Amazon, and it's been there now for three weeks. So... I look back at that and think of the times where I went this I don't know where it's going mm-hmm. and I don't think I've actually ever said that to anybody but I, there were times where I was I didn't know how it was all going to come together but it was just time it was obviously a lot of dedication I, I, I knew something special was coming from it now that something special is either son and father connection and relationship which we've always had uh, but there are two things really uh, David sent me a quote and it's the Maya Angelou quote yeah. now Maya Angelou passed in 2014 she's a black activist uh, but he sent me the quote and it, it's it's on pretty much every presentation I deliver because it means so much but they're only words it's the meaning we put to the words and, and it's People tend to forget what you did. So in school, we'll forget what the teacher did or what 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 she did. Or when you're coaching, the players will forget what you did further down the line. They'll even forget what you said, what he said, what she said. But the one thing that people will never do is they'll never forget how you make them feel. And that, that quote is that the strap line of every single my business emails it's at the bottom of that and I never change it because it has so much meaning to me is that then right well how do we now want to make players or athletes feel and how can we share that love with those out there but put it in a, in a written form and so that's one driver that's so I now interact differently now with my players than I did years ago. You know, it would be very autocratic. I think the you know the, the landscape's changed now because of many things and for the right reasons as well. But so that's one. That was a drop. The second one, we were sat in Hotel Starbucks in St. Helens, just on the East Lanks. And uh, who are we gonna do? dedicate the book and I'd lost my friend uh, Dick Bate, who, who I, I'd known for 35 years and he, I'd never known a man 
to sp- he never spoke badly about man or woman ever and I just think that's a great tribute in itself that's that's the sort of character he was but such a strong character uh, as you know he delivered lots of courses he directed lots of courses for for the FA and built courses the academy managers course which is no longer uh, delivered air license courses and in actual fact 30 well it was 36 years ago he was someone that I'd uh, I'd seen and he was on a I was on a course and he just stood out. He he was just something special about him. So when he passed in 2018, uh, I was in North Korea. Sorry, North Korea, South Korea with him, delivering a pro license course, the, the third, the sec, no, sorry, the second module of the course, and it's at that point where. I'm the last one to actually see him work practically in theory and pre- present. And for those that have seen him, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. He he was just magical. For those that have never had the opportunity to to watch a uh, a maverick, a, a man of great stature and great presence, and to deliver his messages in the way that he did, you've missed something. But what we did is we decided to dedicate the book to him and that was another drive that then took something else and then we get locked down into where we're going with it because the written part David and Preet in front of me I'd read it and then you know there'd be very little interest in what was but that was an experience in itself because are you reading it I've read it yeah read it <laughs> have you, yeah you've not read it I have read it it's just not been it's not hit the sweet spot yet Back to the drawing board, Hotel Starbucks, who made a fortune out of it, hmm. by the way. I've got a. I bet I, you're a gold member. I am a gold member. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a credit. I've, I think I've maxed out a few credit cards <laughs> from Starbucks. Yeah, so, the, so, the, so the, the quote, the feelings, that's, it's a book, it's a feeling, it's a book that's about feelings uh, from gentlemen, and there's a female in there uh, that they're pray, that we've got to give credit to. Uh, around the variety of different sports because it's just not it's not a football book mm. it, it's lots of experiences from people from the football in arena but there are people outside of the sport and uh, but that quote from Maya Angelou and then of course that dedication and mm. you know the 10% of the of the profit is uh, is going to the Giles Trust the brain tumor fund that looked after uh, Dick in his latter uh, stages of his life, and that means so much. That means I'm not really plugging it, but that one I do want to plug. So the more we can sell to get into that wonderful uh, charity, that fund, great. Uh, we've got people now who are, I say influential, I think we all have elements of that, but the, the footballing field, the PFA, have put it on their website. They've got it on Twitter, I think, or LinkedIn. I'm not a, I think it's LinkedIn or <laughs> Twitter. Let's just say, it's one of those two. That's social stuff. It's the social, whatever, yeah. those platforms. Yeah. And, and then uh, yeah, there's, there's some, I say famous footballers. There's a, there's a footballer who's got 1.1 million followers on Twitter, put it on, and he's got a photograph of it. So it's, it's building up something. And 
but ultimately it's nice to go towards a fund. What we've got to do is, and I, and I think it is doing, I think testimony of the quality of the book is it's still a bestseller currently. So the, so the, the fund's great and it's nice to feel the orbit that's lovely what you're doing but ultimately it's what value it's bringing to other people's lives yeah. uh, that they're actually working with and alongside little charges running up and down in a gym or on a rugby field doing what they do well, there's been people in business that have come back yeah. and I think that the feedback reviews and testimonies from people from people that we know there's been from people that we don't know that have that have said um, it's, there was a guy a business guy who said it's not just relative to sports but it's relative to life mm. so that was it was it's been really nice to hear that I mean I've had people on Twitter that'll send me a message or reply to something I've said and said that they've read the book and they think it's one of the best books they've read and to, to hear people say that about something that you've created is is a really nice feeling especially with the amount of time and effort that's gone into it and and the reasons and why it's being done too mm. brilliant. brilliant I think that's probably a good place to to wrap up to you cool. yeah thank you you did say there's a second one there is yeah it's already in the making it's already well and truly so we're uh, Starbucks will be rubbing their hands Starbucks yeah, <laughs> yeah we, oh, we, we will take Costa as well but uh, higher caffeine content in higher Costa caffeine, yeah. Yeah. all yeah. we need is while we're on if Starbucks can we need an endorsement <laughs> you need yeah. the Northwest Regional Managers yeah. to give you a bit of a, a credit line don't you uh, we, we do for sure there is another book uh, there might be another couple David's mentioned it then the, the business uh, there are inner meanings behind the book so you can go literally. This is the this is the football and the sporting or this my sport type. You know, there's a Muay Thai uh, world champion in there, sharing his wealth of knowledge uh, in his gym, and there's some real nuggets in there around the art of silence whilst coaching. Uh, but there are other books. Gold Dust. There's a, there's going to be a sports specific book. So it might be a series, uh, I don't know, but it's definitely an exciting time. The business part of the business aspect or the business element on the business field, they can, be, there's definitely things in there because I work in the business field as well, in the business arena. So it's been, we didn't intentionally set out for it to be that, but it does have the connotations and the, the, the impact and influences it can equally have within that field as well. Uh, could be, uh, it could be well worth having a having a little read. Good, that's a good excuse for us to get back round the table again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good, good. we'll <laughs> do that definitely. Um, Keith, David, really, really enjoyed this. Thanks, Thanks for Jack. good to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Um, and you mentioned Twitter. I don't know. You'll probably know your handle. I'm guessing, guessing Keith might not. Yeah, uh, David. You can do it for not. both. We can. We can. Have, I don't know yours. Mine's DJ Mayor Three. Okay. I can have a look at yours. We'll find it. We, we'll find yeah, out. We'll, we'll. Yeah, we're on. I'm on this first Twitter tube, wherever it is. <laughs> but we're, we're on catch up. I'm getting friends on. You just have to be on careful, Twitter now. He has. Friends reunited, Keith. You still still rocking that one, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I've got no signal. That's all right. He has a few different Twitter accounts, but if you if you see mine, you'll 
you'll probably see some retweets of the book yeah, from I'll my put, dad as well. I'll so. put a link on there. And the, and the book is called Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly. Available Absolutely. only on Amazon, right? Only on Amazon currently, yes. Good. Thank you, guys, and thank, thanks for... Um, Thanks for the copy, oh, and I will. Uh, I'll let you know when I've finished it. Hopefully before Christmas. Sure. Thank you. Thank Brilliant. You. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at Jack Walton One, and don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.